go through a P-Base phase, you use a bunch? And he was like, yeah, I just told you I used it on all the records. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Yeah, he, he also, he would get you with some shit like that every yeah. once in a while. I had completely forgotten about Firehose. That first album is so fucking good. It's ridiculous, dude. It's like, it's like one of those when you drop the needle anywhere, it's gonna sound pretty good. Yeah. Well, I guess we uh, can get started. It's another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. This time we decided to bring in our friend Mike Watt from the Minutemen and Firehose and Stooges and lots of other stuff. Um, he's got a lot of different side projects he's working on these days. Um, but we brought him in to talk to Cam Powell. Um, he's a, another bassist that we all look up to and appreciate, and he's a good friend of ours as well. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, he's also sitting right beside me. Um, but yeah, so the a while back, Cam and, and Watt spoke for a different project we were doing, and you know, uh, Watt just mentioned his love for James Jamerson, um, and you know, James was born in South Carolina before he moved to Detroit and started doing all of the Motown records that he's kind of known for being involved with. Um, Having a, a, chat, a chat about that. There's some strange sounds going on in the studio right now. Um, but, yeah, what what do you think, man? How was, how was chatting with him? Man, it, you know, anytime this being the, I guess the third or fourth time I've chatted with Watt between uh, the interview we did for Caravan years ago and then uh, actually, you know, talking with him and, and uh, playing on the same bill as... Uh, El Sonio Del Marinaio um, at a Royal a few years ago. Um, you know, it's always a conversation with Watt is always a ton of fun, and it's it, you know it's an experience. You got to strap in, um, and I knew that he was going to be coming with a with a lot of knowledge. I mean, he's been you know he's been you know the man in the van with the bass in his hand for you know over three decades. You know, at this point, four possibly even, and you know, so his his love for bass is is runs deep man and so he he knows his stuff about you know the the legends of the game so i uh you know had a really good time kind of kind of bouncing stuff back and forth you know finding out some of the the mutual players you know james jamerson obviously being our jumping off point but some of the mutual players that we both uh you know had uh you know had some major influence on us and uh and just talking about, you know, technique, it, it, you know, it may delve into a little bit of, you know, straight up ba bass nerd levels, so be I think prepared. there was a little bit of a goal of, of yeah. I mean, like, I like the idea of two people who just are unapologetically nerding out on their, on their shared craft. Um, For sure. But yeah, I mean, it's cool, like, in the research to this, I, I mean, I was aware of James Jamerson's work, but I did, you know, I guess I never thought about it all in the context of just, like, how many really recognizable recordings he's on and not only is he on those recordings that he's like a huge part of why they're super memorable yeah um like i mean a lot of that motown stuff like you i mean it's just as much of a hook as the as the vocal melody and it's kind of surprising because they're not like super straight forward lines they're real yeah, it's, bouncy it's, and lots of notes but it'll be the, one of the most yeah absolutely i mean from so you know for for background since you know we're gonna me and Watt are gonna jump straight into it um but uh you know james jamerson 
the uh, the session bass player for pretty much all of the the earliest Motown hits all the way through their transition from uh, you know Hitsville USA moving out to uh, Los Angeles and you know largely uncredited for yeah. most of that work you know they just listed you know that it was you know Motown records production on there they didn't list the individual players so um, but when you go back and look at his body of work, I mean, like, you know, yeah, like you guys were talking about, extremely memorable bass lines like Temptations, My Girl, uh, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. Lots uh, of Stevie Wonder stuff. The, I, I didn't realize early, he was playing on oh, some yeah, of those, 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 those early Stevie Wonder tracks. I'm pretty sure Sign Sealed Delivered is, uh, is yeah. James Jamerson, Jackson mm -hmm. 5. Uh, the Supremes, and then once once he didn't have an exclusive contract with Motown anymore, uh, he worked with you know other like you know Southern Soul greats like Gladys Knight and Aretha. I mean you know, and unfortunately you know his his alcoholism led to you know his his passing at I think uh, in his forties. So he 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 left way too young. But I mean he's on. I think he and Paul McCartney are the. Uh, have played on the most, you know, like Billboard number one oh. tracks. I think, but I think Jamerson's, you know, number is in the. Uh, I mean, it's hard to count again because of the credits, but I mean, it's fifty, sixty plus number one wow. hits that he's played on. Yeah. I mean, well, well, speaking of Paul McCartney, I read today, um, just when I was kind of digging into this stuff a little more, that um, when like you know a lot of those early, early Beatles records were coming out. Uh, there's a lot of, especially I think on like Revolver and stuff, you can hear Paul really leaning into the like almost kind of Motown style of bass playing. Mm -hmm. And I read online that he was obsessing, like Paul that is, was obsessing over like Motown music around that time and specifically James Jamerson. Um, and like, so he modeled a lot of his like early uh, influences or at least on the songs that kind of fit that style after James Jamerson's playing. So it's really, I mean, everybody did. Yeah. Like, you know, once once those songs, like once James Jamerson hit the scene, uh, you know, it, he really did kind of change the direction of bass. Like a lot of people talk about, um, you know, uh, Jaco Pastorius as kind of like, as someone who revolutionized what it was to play electric bass. But there wouldn't be a Jaco if it wasn't for James Jamerson because all of the, you know, like kind of the chromatic runs and the, the like, um, kind of like muted picking and ghost notes and stuff that, you know, Jaco popularized in like the fusion genre and like kind of a solo bass aspect. James Jamerson was, you know, the first guy really to put the, you know, to popularize that style and that, you know, that movement and that kind of, uh, you know, melody within the bass line. Right. Um, so, you know, he, he really did shape the, you know, the way that instrument was played for everyone, you know, after him, you know, that, that, that dead, you know, kind of like uh, muted P bass sound really, you know, defined those Motown tunes, but more than that, his technique, you know, changed how everyone, you know, again, it took me a little while longer to get to James Jamerson. I probably first became aware of him in middle school and then really started like to pay attention and like, you know, dig into that Motown stuff in high school. But, you know, now the, you know, like kinds of like, you know, raked notes and stuff like that that he would play like going down a chord like you know 
that's stuff that I integrate into like almost every you know baseline I write, and I don't think about it at all. It's you know subconscious. But yeah, I mean, his it, influence yeah. is it's it's just in a feel and in a yeah. I think the sound of the P bass is really interesting, um, and that it kind of comes in waves. Like if you remember when um, D'Angelo put out that that real big record, probably like twenty years ago, with just P bass all over it. All of a sudden, all of the big, you know, popular music producers started oh, yeah. using P bass again. Voodoo, yeah, 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 yeah voodoo, yeah. yeah that's when the name the, of it. You know, P bass is a me and our buddy John Wharf talk about it all the time. That P bass is like you know the ultimate player's bass, like the ultimate session bass, like, you know, uh, Pino Palladino, who was on that, uh, you know, voodoo record, another guy that uh, owes a ton to, to James Jamerson for, for his style, and, you know, Pino's kind of, uh, you know, taken it, you know, mastered it and, and taken it in his own direction, but, you know, he's playing all that stuff uh, on, on a P bass, you know, and he tours, mm -hmm. you know, with D'Angelo, he's toured with John Mayer over the years, he's toured with Nine Inch Nails, but, you know, he's got that P-Bass sound, like, you know when Pino Palladino is playing a P-Bass. Absolutely. Like. Well, thanks to everybody for letting us chat a little bit before we get into the, uh, to the Watt interview. Um, you know, this is, I think, probably our longest intro so far, but probably just because we're yeah. excited we about what we're really talking talk about. We didn't even talk about our mutual love for the Minutemen. Yeah, that's true. And we were all Fire rediscovering those Firehose records and everything today. And I mean, there's just so much to appreciate about Watt as a player and on the projects oh, yeah. that he's been in. And the fact that, I mean, when I was in high school and he joined the Stooges, I was like, my two favorite bands just made like a new <laughs> version of my of one of my favorite bands. And right. I mean, it was like, because before I ever even knew uh, the Minutemen, I was a huge Stooges guy. So it was just this perfect blending and I, I mean I know that that's something that Watt has is super proud to have been a part of whenever we uh, interviewed him for for Caravan back in the day which was this zine that Cam helped us with some too me and some friends put together um, but he, we asked him if he was going to title a book about his own life what would he call it and it was something along the lines of I was a stooge it was uh, a <laughs> hope I never fucked up a stooge that's gig. what it was that's right yeah so I mean it's important to him too but um, yeah, so thanks for listening, guys. We're going to let uh, the interview get going here and let y'all hear what Cam and Watt had to say about uh, the, just the career arc of James Jamerson and just their own personal bass <laughs> journeys. Um, but yeah, we're going to do some more of these soon. Thanks for listening and uh, hang tight for some bass chat. Just you and me chatting. Think just us bass guys. So I sent Dylan a link. Oh, yeah, man. Jameson isolated. Now, I know that ain't the way bass is supposed to be. Never thought of doing that. You know, his stuff was always sympathetic to the music, but just to hear that. Oh, yeah, man. He's and, uh, he ended up here in SoCal. In fact, his bass got stole. Nobody knows where it is. Oh, for real? The, the P-Base? His son just died a few years ago, but be, between here, you know, because he, he's from Columbia. Yeah, he's from... Uh, uh, obviously, I think... spent 
Yeah, I think he was born down in uh down in like the low country. Yeah, but he spent yeah, he he lived in South Carolina until they moved to Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He that's where he's famous from is Hitsville. But you know Barry Gordy moved everything. Right. Yeah, so yeah, those yeah. guys ended up following. But he still couldn't get much recording stuff. It was really fucking lame in, in some ways. And in fact the his name was never on records, you know, it was Marvin Gaye when he had him go play. And one of those things I sent Dylan uh, was what's going on baseline by itself. Oh, yeah, man, I listened to it. It's uh, he Dylan forwarded it over to me, too. I was, you know, I've been listening to it since. Dylan you know asked. the story of that one? Yeah, man, I, I the, you know, the all the, the rest of the guys in the in the Funk Brothers, you know, they uh they went out to try and find him because because Marvin really wanted him on that track, but they went out to the different bars to find him and uh and he was uh he was already drunk so that's why he ended up having to having to play the whole thing laying down in the studio. Yeah, he was laying down. Well, he was had this regular gig. Like I said, he couldn't yeah. get a lot of recording. You know, they the thing Robert Johnson, <laughs> not Robert Johnson, Lewis Lewis Johnson. <laughs> Actually got it from Larry Graham of slapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the, um, although Larry's was sly is different. You know, but anyway, Lewis was the one. He just passed away not too long ago. And in fact, his brother's still around. He said he wished he wouldn't have done that in the other bands because it would have been special for the. You know, Spotsky is that? recorded Black Flag. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Me, Puppet. Husker do. Mm-hmm. He lives in Sheboygan now in Wisconsin. Okay. And um, he grew up near those cats and was in a band with them in high school. With the Brothers Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Whoa, that's wild, man. <laughs> Pretty good. But it's just a side on the bass. What happened was, you know, I don't know, you know, you hear that sometimes. I mean, there's, there's a, uh, there was a cat playing with a um, Chicago guy, young guy, started young, uh, Curtis Mayfield. Mm-hmm. His name was Lucky. This guy's name was Lucky. I mean, there was this whole kind of thing that Jamerson got going. And when Slap came uh, with the Motown, it went to this guy, Bob Baffert. Uh-huh. Great bass man, too. I don't know if you're aware of his work. No, man, I hadn't. I hadn't heard much of his but well, yeah when they made, when they made the movie well he's you know like these guys behind the scenes all these other you know singers mm-hmm. i think james jameson's like on 200 top 20s or something oh it's, it's nuts, like amazing yeah. album, you know I'm, and his name's only on the, the one marvin gay yeah, they've had to attribute a lot of stuff after the fact to him because yeah, the you know Barry Gordy didn't put you know individual uh, those individual credits on there for a long, long time. Well, yeah, and there's some things you know, like another great bass person is Carol Kay. And oh yeah, <laughs> and the I heard, yeah, she says they never called it that. She says that was a Hal Blaine word. Oh really? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's she's still around. She'll give you lessons yeah. and stuff. I, Oh, hi. Like over Skype or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, Hapling said some mean things about her towards the end. Oh, damn. I didn't life. know that. 
Oh, yeah, I said that, you know, Phil Spector gave her a break because she had a kid. She was really a guitar player. Anyway, this is what bass players have to deal with. I, yeah. I think she did start. You know, some some dudes did. Uh, James Jamerson didn't. James Jamerson came from stand-up. Yeah, yeah, he started on Upright in high school. And that's why uh, the action on his bass was like, people couldn't play that thing. Oh, no. You can tell, man, you can tell in his tone that he's playing, you know, something that's, you know, where the action is incredibly high. Because, you know, he's got that, like, you know, it's that really... Do you know he was one finger? Oh, yeah, man. The hook. The hook. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, man. Do, have you ever, like, have you ever gone through a... Pe- What's that, man? I've seen pictures where he has, uh, he's got the cover mm-hmm. over the pickup, and he's using his thumb as an anchor. And he's playing the one finger behind, right behind the cover. Yep. But then I've seen other things, you know, in other places too. Yeah. I've mean, read that... stuff where recording wasn't that loud. They wanted more level out of him. Hmm. Well, you know, their their recording setup in there was weird, man, because they didn't use um they didn't use amps went... in there. They they would go straight. No, I think he went right into the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had custom like preamps and stuff, and so they were going straight. Even the guitar guys. The board. Yeah, yeah. Which is like you know another thing that goes into that like weird you know kind of like and, flat dead tone that they had. Man, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, yeah, well, he never changed the string. I think it, there was a broken G string, and that's the only one that ever got changed. Yep, yep. That's you know that Hitsville stuff. Oh yeah. Of that. Uh, there's a monitor. They played everything back to them over this one big speaker. Oh, really? Oh. Huh. Yeah, I don't think they used headphones. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, because, like, you know, the, the, the bass and the guitar was directed. They didn't have to worry about the bleed that way. Yeah, man. I mean, and I guess they heard the drums, like, slamming through. You know, and also the numbers of sessions and, and different stuff and having to come up with stuff. I think that was similar to maybe Carol Kay and Kyle Blaine. They were like kind of the house trip. And also those guys, he said they called themselves sometimes the clique. But uh, they're on rock and roll records and shit, like monkeys and birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those, These those... boys. I, yeah, I know. I've there's like this little mini doc somewhere online about uh, Carol Kay, um, and they do like you know a, a good part of it is about the um, like the pet sound sessions, and I think I think they did like you know what eventually became um, Smile too. So yeah, there's you know she's got she's got a ton of great work with the Beach Boys for sure. I said this man just passed away. He had a show. I don't know. Maybe you're more young to know about the Wild Wild West. Yeah, I'm not sure I know oh, about Conrad. that. Uh-uh. Do you know the theme song? I don't think I do, no. Yeah, if you were from my age, you would know it. <laughs> but it was bum 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 It's all on the bass guitar and yeah. it's fucking Carol Kay. Oh, really? And Carol Kay did a lot of that shit she's the base on batman she's the base on so much shit oh hell yeah yeah because they were they were doing all kind more than uh the motown guys were backing up barry gordy singers mm-hmm. 
these guys were doing Hollywood and movies and, and rock and roll. Yeah, so they were the number they were really two drummer man was uh, a- Andrew Palmer, the guy who played for Little Richard, kind of invented the kick drum. They weren't carrying a bass player, so he came up. I don't know if you noticed that there was a difference in the way drums used to be. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's that's a that's one of the big you know differences between old you know those recordings from you know the 50s, 60s, 70s, and recordings today. Like the drum miking techniques are like so different nowadays, man. Yeah, but I've been talking about composition. Oh yeah, we, uh, we used to be driving. If you listen to bebop and stuff, the mm-hmm. bass man, the, the the one on bass is driving with eight, a lot of eighth notes, and their yeah. drum man is mainly just for bombs. And this uh, Earl Palmer, yeah, this guy, he comes up with the steady kind of kick drum thing. They yeah. weren't carrying a bass player. He was so rich. New Orleans guy, he ended up li- living in L.A. I don't know how Blaine had so much fucking work. He started going over to him. Right, right. No, because when the bass guy, when the, when the drummer started using the kick drum like that, the bass guy, and then you got a guy like James Jamerson who comes over from the string bass, mm-hmm. doesn't come from guitar, comes from bass. But there's got this new machine. And now the drums is playing different. Yeah, you don't so, have to do all eighth notes. Right, yeah. All of that is... like it. Oh, badass. Paul Chambers and John Coltrane wrote a song called oh, yeah, Mr. Dude. PC. You know? Oh, yeah. Mr. PC is a great tune, man. Like, Miles wrote a song for John <laughs> I mean, when some guy writes your name, yeah, there's a Paul blues Ch- for Alvin. Yeah, Paul Chambers is. But what what I'm saying is, you know, what I was thinking of right when we started talking was like, oh, a lot of his bass players owe a lot to James Jamerson. One hundred percent. Yeah, but I uh, I wasn't thinking so much the way the drummer rolls, kind of changed, and maybe that, and then a guy coming on to electric bass, brand new, like Orson Welles, who never made a movie before, Mm -hmm. coming from theater. You know, maybe it's that kind of trip because. I still think we all owe James Jamerson a lot on bass. Oh, for sure, man. I think, you know, the the kind of, st- you know, it's the stuff that he was doing and doing it on, you know, popular tracks, you know, that I'm sure that, you know, again, those jazz cats, you know, there are people that were playing, you know, already doing kind of that, you know, walking style. But for him to be doing it, you know, lockstep in with, like what you said, you know, the way that, you know, drum composition had changed on those you know those pop tracks um you know of the of the late 50s and into the 60s uh you know it's kind of kind of changed it, it big time and so you know there's you know then james comes in and he's got all that movement in those lines but it's still grooving like you know just as you know just as tight and in lockstep with the drums man yeah it's uh you know there's a reason that he's on so many so many of those songs because he you know He's the guy that defined it, you know? I think Benny Benjamin was drums for some lot. Okay. Yeah, he can really swing. Oh, yeah. The thing, you know? <clears throat> but I, I also think maybe because the drums changed, they let, and then this new electric instrument, you know, they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. But against the stand up, I tried it. It was hard. It was too hard, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went through, I tried it at like the end of high school and I, you know, it was fun, 
is definitely difficult. You know, I started on electric too when I was in middle school and I, I tried, you know, to, to mess around with upright for a little while. You know, I'd love to get back to it one day. Um, those things are, those things are expensive, man. And they're, they're finicky, you know, they're not as, uh, not as reliable as just taking out, you know, the, the, you know, slab of wood electric base and just, you know, getting to it. Well, they do got, there's, uh, just next. <laughs> oh yeah. URBs. I've seen those things, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you, you got ever... some cheater stuff to like put <laughs> it up the right height and everything? Yeah, even yeah. a bar, I think, to leave you on on it. But it it's it's not acoustic. It's just no, neck, right? No, it's not the same. Yeah, yeah I think I I played with the or I've messed around with one of those at a music shop before. Did you ever go? Through you know, uh, you know this name of Leo's first bass. Mm-mm, no. Yeah, we say P bass. Oh yeah, the precision bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you know what that name where Leo you know, Leo played a little piano. He didn't play guitar or right. bass. Right? Yeah. You know what the name you know it means? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean it's you know the precision it is mine. it's you know the precision aspect of being able to, you know, play those those notes, you know, exactly in tune as opposed to, you know, your your fretless you know, uh, upright. Yeah, it's bass. got fret. Yeah, exactly. It's got fret. You're not flying that's, blind. That's like why it's you called are. that. Yeah, exactly. You're not flying blind like you are on the because uh, a, on the a bass was like they were like a giant violin. Oh yeah, the ones in Europe are even bigger. Like ours are 41 inch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think like 44 inch or something. Oh like yeah, the those full scale anyway, ones are monsters. Anyway, yeah, well, they, they've got the real one. Yeah, but they're, they're just like a violin. They're just different. They don't have a chin part. Right. But that's how they got the different. They wanted to keep the same temper, so they made them like kind of exactly the same and just a different scale. Now, I say that because Leo didn't really first put frets on. There, there was these things called mandolin orchestras. Okay. About uh, 1890s. Turn of the century, yeah, 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 and a lot of girls. I know McCabe's this guitar place I played. They had pictures of these things. They'd have thirty girls in them, and they'd have these mandolins all different sizes. <laughs> yeah, they get like guitar size. They got bass ones. They had a bass one, and it yeah. had fucking frets on. It. Huh? And yeah. it had, and it was straight up and down like a big fry pan, and it was tuned in fourths, which was different. Because all the mandolins are tuned in fifths like a violin. Mm -hmm. That's exactly the same with the symphony, the classical. Yeah, with the stand-up bass, they're in fourths. Violins and cellos, they're when you move over to the next string. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I've the I jumping remember. Is yeah, I remember when I was starting out playing bass. A buddy of mine was, you know. Uh, played violin in the orchestra and I, so i used to try and mess around on his violin and you know at first it took me I, I was like you know why can't i play this thing that i play on the bass why can't i go you know skip up a string like i normally would and eventually i figured out you know once i you know learned more about you know the individual notes the intervals and stuff i figured out oh okay you know it's going up at a different interval compared to you know these are different strings um then you know it's not the same four as as the bass we started on cella that i owe a lot another 60s guys besides james james jack bruce oh yeah 
Mm. Yeah, man. Jack Bruce is. Scottish. Yeah. Scottish guy. You know this guy? Oh, yeah. The. Way, uh, maybe five years ago, six yeah, years ago. I, uh, I spent a good bit of time with those, uh, with those cream records, man. You know, his, uh, his style was, um, was, you know, pretty, pretty influential on me too. Um, those, uh, he played a uh, he played some a lot of fretless stuff toward the end of his career, um, that you know he he just had some like you know some crazy crazy sounds because he was doing you know he was doing a lot of that like I got a tricky story. Oh yeah, about bass. It wasn't fretless. Mm-hmm. Okay, this guy Harvey Kubernick, nice man, you know, part of the whatever that system, you yeah. know, did publicity. What, let me take you to some cat's pad in the valley. In the valley. Okay. And it's, it's drummer man of, uh, the knack new wave. Oh yeah. 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 I, I know you're talking about nice, nice man. He brings me there. Tarzana. Not, not far from Perk. Anyway, uh, I go there, he puts on VHS of him playing with Jack Bruce and Mick Taylor. Those, both Mick Taylor and Jack Bruce are all, you know, smack is not happening. It's, it's some lame fusion shit. That's yeah. terrible. And <laughs> like, oh man, it's on. And Bruce Gary, he can play and stuff, but I mean, you know, it's like, whoa. And uh, like 40, 45 minutes of this, and I'm like, whoa. Then he t- turns it off and he goes back room and he comes out with another VHS in the case. <laughs> and puts this VHS in, this new one, and it's Albert Hall gig, a cream. It's the last gig. Mm-hmm. Aircraft got red cowboy shirt, you know. Right. Some kind of cape. <laughs> Ginger anyway, Baker was wild, uh, man. He opens up the case and he gives me that there's a letter on top of this base and the letters from Jack Bruce saying this is it the cream base well for and real there's marks <laughs> this guy Bruce Gary shows me on the video of Jack Bruce playing and there's marks on this base that's on this base that's right there and he lets me play it for like a half hour <laughs> it played like a motherfucker man it was fucking oh my god the 1961 EB3. Oh man, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And that's, I mean, you've you've played a lot of those uh, those Gibsons in the past, right? The EB series. No, man, but this this was the fucking bass. Yeah, it's the fucking it's the bass, man. Graded and Bruce Gary a thousand Dallas and a Chapman sick, but he was bad junkie days. It was not a happening time for him was in the 70s. And then Bruce Gary got this cancer and died not too long after. Terrible. Oh, and yeah, his family awesome. auctioned off saw this base on the internet being auctioned off, you know, for Chinquando, right? It's the, it's the green base. I played it. So it was worth sitting through that 45 minutes of that crap. You know, you never know. That just <laughs> shows to go you, you know. You don't know what's going to happen. So just ride along with <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> I was very grateful to Harvey Kubernick for doing that. And Bruce Gary was very kind to me, man. I played the fucking Queen Base. 
it wasn't through an amp or anything. Right. But still, man, no, anytime that you get a chance to, you know, to play <laughs> something that's that got that kind of history, man, that's that's fucking awesome. It played bad, man. It wasn't it wasn't like what we were talking about, James Jefferson. Oh, I heard no. that thing was like William Tell, you know, was like <laughs> the fucking arrow. Oh yeah. It's dude. like stick your arm through the fretboard in the it sounds Thanks. like it sounds like a plank, man. Did you ever go through a P bass phase? Did you did you like you know play a P bass with any regularity? Most of my recording is done on a fifty six. Nice, man. Yeah, because I know you know. I think I think when I saw you play with, uh... well, you know, it's a full scale, and I don't play gigs since two thousand. I think two thousand is when I started playing with a short scale for gigs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It hurt my hands playing every day. When I record, you're sitting down. It's right there. It, it's no problem. It's no problem. So all my recording I do with the big ones. I've done some things with short Henry Cut stuff I did with Henry Kaiser. It's coming out. I do with short scale, but usually, yeah, I recorded. Don't he wanted me to use this? He liked sound. Watt Plower. <laughs> <laughs> but usually I use this 56. Now I got this thing. In the in the Hermosa Beach in the eighties, mid eighties. Yeah, it, it had no. I don't know if you know about the years. This is, this is the last year before it gets a split pickup. Mm-hmm. And this yeah. dude had dug it big old hole out, and so it was. It had no pickup or anything. Just a big old hole dug out where it was. Oh wow! So this guy sold it to me for two hundred dollars. Hippie Bob Bob. Call him Hippie Bob. Nice man, though. Really good guy. That's rad, man. And yeah. I was, I was looking at that thing, and I was thinking, you know what? I bet your Thunderbird pickup could cover that hole. And it did. <laughs> and then I, years ago, I had Curtis Novak put a P-Base pickup, split one, but mm-hmm. inside the case you can't see it it looks like a t-bird pickup oh okay so you it's gotta, really it's kind of stealth yeah, yeah i was gonna say a little trickery going on there kind of trickery i mean it's what was put in there you know when yeah, i got sure. it in the i done a lot of recording with it with the thunderbird pickup and stuff but uh i don't know five years ago i, mm-hmm. I, I did that over and it has a back pickup too and but i only put that on like 15 percent very small. I mainly use the front pickup. Okay. Yeah, I think you get more punch with one pickup. Maybe a little bit. I bring in uh, the Watt Plower. You know, it's only one pickup at a time. There's something about one pickup. I think you get more punch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that so? What's your? I know that. It's like you're... having a tuba with about four funnels. You know. Right. You don't want you want some one big go to, you know, geo. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man. I know what you, you don't mean. want it all like dissipated and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. and I think also in the low frequency with big wavelength, mm-hmm. the nodes, the cancellations, they're they're big, man. I don't know if you've ever wired a speaker backwards, but man, but things are out of phase in the low end because we have real big wavelength. Because we have low frequency, you know. Yeah. So when you want to, they get canceled out. That's why fuzz 
it's kind of lame to us as far as having punch. You know, most people, I guess, they blend it and stuff. I tell people about these fuzz tones. They 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 kill your punch. Oh man, I've I've struggled oh, with no, that what, for so what's long. Your philosophy, uh, what's your philosophy on bass guitar with uh, pedals? So I'm I'm real like kind of like novice into the pedal game, man, because for that exact reason, when I was like 21, I got uh, I got a uh, like an 80s big muff off of a friend and I was excited to, you know, hook it up and use it. There was a band I was playing with at the time that had like a couple like, you know, some more like heavier uh, kind of things going on. So I was like, OK, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see how this works on a few of these things. And then, you know, I took it out to the first gig and just threw it on, you know, and uh, like, you know, at this like big section and I just felt like my tone just cut out, like totally was gone. And it's exactly what you're talking about. Like the low end and the punch was just, you know, it was gone. So ever since then, I've been real hesitant to, to mess with it too much. Occasionally, you know, I'll, you know, if we've if I've been doing stuff in the studio with Dear Blanca or any of the other bands that I play with, you know, if they want me to try something out, you know, I'll I'll let the you know the engineer, the guy who's you know doing the recording, if he knows what's going on, I'll uh you know I'll I'll give it a shot. But you know, I I tend to just kind of you know get the get the crunch that I want out of the amp and then just go from there, man. What's what 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 are you doing these days for that? You read a few months ago, Pete Townsend was saying it's better at least not play with Keith Moon and John Atwood. That's crazy. Yeah, it was kind of bitter. <laughs> yeah, I know. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> the stuff without it, I know, I know. But he said playing with John Atwood so it was like a gigantic Mendelssohn organ or something. Yeah, I mean, he, he said no he time with the- Keith Moon or something. Yeah, but I've heard Pete Townsend demos without those two guys, and <laughs> it's different when them two guys. <laughs> oh yeah, there's Sorry. a reason that that band w- it was what it was with I, I, with all I, four I, I, of them, man. Yeah, no, even uh, yeah, be it was him doing the voice too, so it ain't even Roger. But sometimes he comes in there, but it was way different with no John and uh, it was on no Keith Moon. <laughs> it was way different. Oh yeah. Like won't get fooled again. Played like that was like incredible, but you know things got to start somewhere. But anyway, what I was saying was about the bass. You know, yeah, and it's called bass. (laughs) So if you're like hurting that, you start becoming the rhythm guitar. That's a, a certain thing too, I guess. I guess also the music makes room for it. Like we were talking about, like Jamerson and something, Motown and mm-hmm. R&B. Their, their music, yeah. They, D. Boone took a lot of hints from that. If you want to know, you know, Minute, I mean, listening to Minutemen that we were taking, especially D. Boone was taking hints on uh, playing more trebly, right. more clipped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less power chords, making room for bass and drums. Oh yeah, so I mean, see that's on a composition level, even yeah, besides you your sound or your your kind of effect you're using on your bass. I'm just talking about how the band is setting up the music for you. Right. Yeah. And uh, Paul McCartney, Paul, Paul McCartney, he's moving around. 
but it's not in the high end. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's thumping in, in there. Jamerson is thumping. You know? Yeah. You gotta, I'll tell you a song that sounds good with an effect is Anthony Jackson doing For the Love of Money, Isley Brothers. Oh, yeah, that's a good track, man. And he's also playing with a pick. Yeah, that's... Because that's, that's another macho thing some bass people get into. Like, oh. is it pick or is it fingers? Fingers versus pick, yeah. You know, so my, uh, my story with that... So I went in for my first bass lesson um, when I was, uh, I think I was 11, and I'd gotten the bass for Christmas. Basically, like yeah, some friends of mine had got, you know, had had gotten guitars over the last couple of years, and I was like, oh, I'll get a guitar. And they're like, no, don't get a guitar, get a bass so we can start a band. And I was like, okay. And so I just started listening to bass lines, and eventually got my got a bass, and just kind of you know fell in love with it. But I went in for a first lesson after you know just trying to teach myself a bunch of stuff, you know. I'll, with tab books and all that stuff. And I, uh, the guy asked me to play a scale for him and I could play it, um, with, you know, I played it with my fingers and I was like, uh, you know, I can actually, I can play it a little better. I can play it faster with a pick. And he was like, that's fine. You can play bass with a pick if you want, but you got to find a different teacher. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was, his his line was uh you know bass players that use picks are failed guitarists like if you wanna if you wanna play bass I'll teach you how to play bass with your fingers and so from then on out okay I'm about to tell you this I saw John Entwistle I mean this was not the Who this right. was like his like he's doing Who songs he's doing John Entwistle ones too mm -hmm. but it was John Entwistle solo band okay like they're wearing a, what year was that they're wearing like a, Sometime in the nineties, they're wearing like okay. trench coats and playing Steinberger, <laughs> his band. Okay, yeah. but the guy sings like Roger. You know. Anyway, half the amps is John. John's half the stage. But I seen them using pick fingers and slap it in the same tune. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no right or wrong way to do it. In the it, same you know? song, yeah. He yeah. didn't give a fuck. Yeah, he just did everything. <laughs> yeah, man. He did whatever. It's like making shapes in your mouth, you know, for talking or singing. Right, exactly. You know exactly. what I mean? Or you're going to always make your mouth the same way. You know, there's always, there's there can be all these different, like, shapes. <laughs> and I say it's all vocabulary. So why do you have to lose one? You know what happens is if you don't use one, you lose it. Oh, exactly. But, to, but that comes, that's like atrophy, right? Mm -hmm. so it's not because it's lamer. It's just because you ain't using it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, you know. I'll tell you a tip that seems hard mm -hmm. to me, like physically, is on the stand-up, those rockabilly guys that would slam the string against the neck. Oh, yeah. The that, fretboard. That shit looks exhausting. But the fucking tendons on the back of your hand... <laughs> When those those guys are always, you know, those bands are always so like high energy too, and those dudes are like, you know, they're dancing around, they're like spinning the bass around in between hits and stuff like that. Like that, that's like, you know, that's like a higher level of uh, no, fucking tendons. For me, I'm just picturing the tendons on the back of my oh, hand, yeah. right behind the, the knuckles, you know, uh -huh. going between your wrist and yeah. your knuckle. That fucking part is going to be like aching like a motherfucker. Oh yeah, man. That stuff is uh, you know, that's higher higher calisthenics, man. Cam, have you had to do shit like this? Adjust your way of playing 
as time's gone by. Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, over, you know. I don't play like a fire hose guy. I don't play even like a Minuteman guy. I mean, there was different kinds of Minuteman guys. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I was, I listen, you know, I was listening to a bunch of Jamerson stuff this week, and I went and listened to, you know, went back and listened to some of my Minutemen and Firehose, you know, favorites earlier today too. But even just between those records, man, I can hear the difference in your, you know, how you're playing tailored the, to those different the bands. Right hand. Yeah, more, more right hand than left hand, but left hand too in some ways. Yeah, but actually, sometimes on the left hand, I had to aid and abet what was I was doing by the time. Uh, what makes a man start fires? Mm-hmm. I'm basically playing rhythm guitar. I'm doing like chords, right? And there's songs like the uh, "Seller Be Sold." Or Bob Dylan wrote Bob Gann song. Mm-hmm. The anchor. I'm going for a real mid-range tone, and yeah. So after that one, I do one more with a pick called uh, "Buzz or How." And then we do double nickels on the diamond. I decide to do, except one song I do with a pit. I do all the 43 others with uh, things. Oh, yeah, man. That's, I mean, that record is, there's there's so much in it. I was actually, I put that on uh, this morning because I was, you know, trying to, you know, after listening to all that Jamerson stuff and knowing, you know, that you're, uh, you know, as big of a fan as you are, I was like, I wonder if I can hear, you know, what what can I hear out of that from you know from Mike's you know Minutemen stuff and first song man uh, D's Car Jam you're like you're literally you know moving in and out of the root of the you know the chords with those chromatics like you know super Jamerson esque I was like oh it's you know I didn't have to look far at all it's right there in the seventies uh, I played with fingers and then when got involved with making a punk band. I, I just couldn't play fast enough. I had to use a pick. Yeah. Those first records and gigs I'm doing with a pick. But it started changing my style into playing like rhythm guitar. <laughs> I was like strumming and shit. You know yeah, who, does, yeah. who does bass guitar really good that way is uh, Lou Barlow. Oh, yeah, Lou man. Lou Barlow the, does really good this strum, strumming kind of bass guitar. Yeah, those, those dinosaur records are, you know pretty uh the the bass tones on him are fantastic too man that's that's somebody you've no. seen him lately he's still playing like that i haven't caught him the last couple times they've come through they came through uh jay with dinosaur mm-hmm. he plays this weird kind of bass guitar that's really strummy with a lot of open strings yeah yeah, yeah. it's really really unique in his style i like it that's one thing. Do you do you play much? Like, do you avoid or do you embrace open strings? I I've kind of gone back and forth over the years where I used to like. When I was, you know, it's funny. Stand up guys had to use open strings. because oh, yeah. it's so hard to play. Yeah, and you get they you didn't let them. It. They didn't ring out, but they didn't ring out like you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you needed to because the the the, the gaps between the frets are big. It's forty one exactly, scale. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know you got to turn it here too, Cam. When your hand goes to the hat where the body is, you got to turn from sideways to up and down. And, and talk about the tendons on the back of your fucking hand hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to press down. It's different. It ain't sideways anymore. 
this is what really hung me up and why I could only go so far with it. I right, did right, right. Seven Inch for Kill Rock Stars. But man, I just, I, I couldn't get that thing where you, how you have to play below the body. But there, you, ha you have to use the open strings a lot, just the, the physics and shit like that. But you don't use it for droning. But you could do that with bass guitar, and that's sure. totally what Lou Barlow, man. Lou mm -hmm. Barlow sets up his, his chords that way, so he's using a whole bunch of open strings. And he also makes chords, where there's fifths, fourths. You know, like I, I, was, I was doing some of that stuff, too. The thing is, a uh, much different guitar player, Jay Maskus and Dee Boom. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Jay... Much, much different. I play with Jay Maskus. I mean, I love playing with Jay Maskus, but uh, I did a tour with him where I didn't hear any notes. <laughs> <laughs> what project was that? In fact, that was the first time I used a pick. In 17 years. Oh, really? It was called Jay Maskus in the Fog. In two, okay, yeah. It's yeah. coming up 20 years now. It was right after the sickness. The leap day is coming up, on, and that's the sickness almost killed me, this infection. Oh, yeah. I heard you talk and, about that on the Mark Mearing podcast. That that ordeal of that sickness I had, yeah. that's where I got my second opera. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. The way I, how I change is if I start feeling pain, Mm -hmm. I, that's when I start changing the technique. That's why I change the technique. Yeah, I've had to do that over the years too. I was I was just telling Dylan earlier today that I used to, you know, my my left hand technique used to be like kind of, I don't know. It just I was trying to play too fast in certain bands, and I just wasn't, you know, uh, I don't know if I wasn't like you know stretching things out right, or but I'd just get myself burned out after you know three or four songs into the gig, and my left forearm would just be screaming at me, and I'd have to you know I'd be basically instead of going you know full you know uh, full hand technique going to like one finger moving up and down the fretboard because my forearm was was totally burned out, and so after that I had to totally like reevaluate the you know my technique, and now I you know everything's a lot easier, you know, a lot smoother to play, you know, over, you got, you know, keep adapting, keep changing to the bands you're playing in. That Here's a problem I had, you know, I did 125 months with the Stooges. Yeah. And one problem I had with them was sweating so much by the end of the gig, my hands would cramp. Ooh. Yeah. They go into like, like a crab. They go into clothes. Couldn't open them. Oof. Yeah, that's that's tough, I was man. Playing with a claw. <laughs> yeah. Both hands are terrible. Towards the end of the show, just because all the electrolyte sweat out. That was that's a problem I had. Oh I mean, yeah. That's something like what you're talking about. out. For sure. Yeah. yeah this yeah. was like. Have you ever got cramps in your hands? Only a couple times. Not like n never while playing. A couple times, like uh, like after a gig or like you know just something random like you know the next day coconut water before the gig helps okay. what about composition what about composition you know i was have you ever read charles mingus beneath the underdog he's a bass player oh yeah no I, I i love mingus no i haven't haven't read uh haven't read that before he wrote a book about you know music and stuff and mm -hmm. 
he never composed on the bass. He composed on the piano. Okay. What about, what's your opinion about the bass as a composition tool? Like a song coming on the bass before any other instrument. It's, it's kind of... It's not the I, tradition, I know, but no, what do you think not. about that option? I kind of go back and forth on it, man. Like, you know, again, it kind of depends on the project. There, um, you know, with like with your Blanca stuff, usually, you know, Dylan brings us, uh, you know, something on, on guitar first. And that's how we, that's kind of how we, we go with that. But I, I was playing, uh, was jamming with some friends years back who, uh, my, you know, my friend who was playing guitar and singing, he, he couldn't, he couldn't come up with a melody or he couldn't like expand on like whatever riff he was working on until he heard the bass line. And so it kind of like pushed me a little bit more to, you know, write the line first. I think that, I think some, you know, great stuff can come out of that, you know, if doing it that way, <laughs> the problem that I have approaching it that way is sometimes like, if I'm going to do that, it almost like, I've, I always feel like, am I making this too, too bass heavy? Like, is this too funky or too, you know, too groovy for this project? Um, you know, compared to how we normally write or something like that. I mean, how did, how, how does that work best for you? Like, you know, what, what were y'all kind of like everybody trading stuff as far as like Minutemen and Firehose and stuff was going on or, um, was it, you know, usually D Boone coming up with stuff for, for Minutemen? Like, what what worked best for you? Well, you think drummers can, you know, Chico Hamilton had this problem in the 60s. He was a jazz drummer. Mm -hmm. And he was trying to get credit for songwriting credit. They said he couldn't get songwriting credit because drummers can't write parts. <laughs> or can't write songs, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's something that certain instruments have that other instruments don't not i don't know about that a lot of this course is like yeah i just never let go of the bass but of course when we were just starting me and d boone writing our songs you know when we started playing we just copied records yeah and then we started writing songs sometimes i'd write them on a guitar but i couldn't play guitar that well and the strings are little and shit Sometimes I would give them a guitar part. Here, here's chords, here's this. And be all klutzy and stuff, but he'd get the idea and play it. And then I'd have a bass I'd do on top of that, too. But a lot of times, I wanted the bass first and see what he would do. So, And this is how I got later on with my own after he got killed. You know, with Edward, it was like trying to see what he would do. And then it kind of was like that with Nels Klein, too. So the bass, more or less, was springboard. It was launch pad. It was not with the realized at the end. It was to put these guys in situations. Yeah, yeah. Use yeah. a different way. But that's me as a bass player not letting go of the bass and just working with that. Right, right. I'm just talking about for... Uh, uh, so I'm a little biased that way, but... I. I I don't see why you couldn't write songs on drums either, or, or fucking tambourine. You know, <laughs> sure, bongos man. with fuck. You know <laughs> what the you know what the, what the fuck is? Uh, Damo is Suzuki. He tours with no band. Oh yeah, he's actually coming to uh, he's coming to Charlotte soon, um, playing. Uh... Okay, he'll, he's probably finding dudes to play with, and he'll just start yeah. singing and get the guys going with him. 
That sounds wild, man. Yeah, I'm, so I'm hoping I, to go check I that show out. I could see a bass guy. I could see a bass very much about that, especially with the drummer in cahoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you're nurturing and you fucking give body to things. Why shouldn't it be first without it having to be uh, affected with an A, you know? It's got to be some kind of motif. Oh, here's a reggae thing. Here's a ska. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's but one of But somehow the- it's just whatever it is. It is bass. It's whatever bass is, you know? It's a... Uh, Yeah, man. Uh, I still think I, th- I think it's still finding itself. I agree. I mean, I think it's constantly. I think it's constantly evolving. You know, I mean, like the, you know, again, if you want to take it all the way back to, you know, take it back to this where we started with Jamerson. You know, he, you know, is the really the first one who's popularizing like those, you know, kind of chromatic runs that are still anchored in the groove. And then you've got, you know, that made its way you know all the way through you know into tons of different styles you know i mean even guys like you know have you ever heard of this guy herbie flowers no no who's herbie england guy still alive older guy Uh uh-huh he actually did a am radio hit with electric bass and string bass at the same time what that sounds crazy. It's a Lou Reed song called Walk on the Wild Side. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I love that track for sure. I didn't realize. And it's pretty fucking It's like two chords. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that there was an, that there was an upright and In electric one track on bass, that. One bass goes up. One bass glisses up. And one bass glisses down. Yeah, I guess I never put that together that that's, I mean, I knew it was two tracks on top of each other because you can't do chords like that on an upright bass, you know, Uh, but uh, I guess. Yeah, it's a, it's an 11th. Mm Mm-hmm. He's hitting an E and an A flat. Those are real good on the stand-up because they're far apart enough they don't be. I'll tell you a trippy thing you want to talk about you know, wavelengths and shit on bass guitar. I got to be part of Glenn Branca, Symphony 13 in Los Angeles. Oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was 2006, I think. And, uh, or five, I had a fever. (laughs) We practiced for two days and did it. It was 64 guitars, 20 basses and one drummer and we were in groups of five and I sat right next to the drummer Virgil and right in front was uh, John Meyer was the conductor I watched him count every fucking bar of this movie he had Glenn Branca had written flatted seconds against the roots it was like a B flat against the A, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it was like whoa, whoa, beating so hard. When you do the thing what Herbie Flowers did, it's they're really far apart. But your hand don't have to stretch. It's almost right below. You have to put it a little sharper mm-hmm. the pinky. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um- 
but but I think that's 1971. That's still old days in a way. But I, I'll say this too, Kim, about the older days. Things changed quicker. It seems once the 90s came, things started to plateau out. I'm not saying got lame or anything, just the rate of change got slower. In the old days, a few years, things were completely different. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, it was 10 years, the 70s. Oh, my God. My whole t a teen years is the 70s, from 13 to 20, 1970 to 1980. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm 13 in 1970. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, what kind, what kind of change are you seeing mostly? Are you talking and about, like... In my first gig, me and D. Boone saw the Long Beach Auditorium was T-Rex. Oh, hell yeah, that's great. <laughs> and that bass player was Bill Curry. He was good. He was killed in a car wreck in Portugal. Hmm. Still a young man. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's awful. I think only the drummer, the, only the drummers left from that band. He's like Kirby. He plays in his church. English guy, Will Legend. T-Rex was the first rock band I saw. Yeah. And this man played with uh, his fingers. He played Big Angle. P-Bass player, you know, kind of Wick mm -hmm. Wakeman's... Who's the guy for the Rolling Stones? Oh. Um, talking about the original See, bass put, player? Um, yeah, he's got the, uh, with a scowl on his face, and he puts the angle of the neck really up high. Oh, man. This guy, Bill Curry, did that. Yeah, this guy, uh, he's not on a lot of the records, but he's up to, he, he wrote a book up to Brian Jones. Oh, are you talking about, oh, uh, <laughs> Bill Wyman? Bill Wyman. Yeah. He has a big angle. He puts his bass up high. I guess Jack Bruce did too. Maybe that was a thing in the older days. Chas Chandler and the animals, you see the pictures, mm -hmm. he's got the epic. Way up the angle high. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was like if that was just like uh, the style or if that actually helped guy, the technique or what or what you know. Well, it makes it closer. That's true. Yeah. You know, when you have it's right in front of your face, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other way you gotta have it way down there by your waist, I guess. Yeah, I've never been able to do much of like you know the whole like low strap thing, man. I you know I keep it kind of like somewhere like medium because me and Dylan actually did a uh, we did a Ramones cover band this past year, and that was you and talked about, you talked about doing yeah. oh I mean they do low low, but you talked about you know not having played it, with a pick for seventeen years, you know when you when you broke it that one time, I hadn't played. Oh with yeah, it's really hard. All oh, downstrokes. Oh yeah, and I hadn't played with a pick. Since I was thir you know, since that bass lesson, since I was like eleven or twelve, I hadn't regularly used a pick. So you know, it's about the same amount of time for me—about seventeen years. In the seventies, the fusion guys—they played really high. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know like, what I'm talking about really oh, high. Yeah. Uh, they, a lot of more slap basses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, Victor Wooten or whatever. So, you know, Larry, he, Larry Graham. Larry Graham was always medium. Yeah, yeah, that's about where that's where about where I like to keep mine, you know, kind of just like 
right right above the belt. Or Dean White, medium. Uh, Jack, uh, John, it was a little high. Jack Bruce about medium. He's a butler a little low. Not yeah. Too low, though. I mean, are you, have yeah, you had to change, have you had to change that over the years? You know, I've never seen James Jamerson play standing up. All the pictures I see him in, he's sitting down, even the gigs. Yeah, that used to be a more com- that used to be a more common thing, you know, like kind of like the bandstand. But they also like bandstands. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know the band and the gigs were like reviews. Like the singers would have three songs each. They they'd rotate and the band would stay. Right, right. So they're back like in that a ton of different people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tammy show that's was recorded, filmed. And you could see how the band, the, the different singers are coming out. I don't know, man. Singing and dancing's hard too. Fuck, four tops, tamps. Oh yeah, I can't. I, that stuff is you Standers. know. People people ask me all the time. You know, I'm like, uh, my girlfriend likes to dance, like you know, at a wedding or something like that. But I just like it's just never been my never been my thing. I can't 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 do it. I just don't have that kind of rhythm. People are like, what do you mean you don't have rhythm? Like you play bass. Like you know, I've heard you play. Like. And I'm like, yeah, I've got rhythm, but it's only in my hands. I don't know what to, what to do with it elsewhere, you know. Jackson Five, they played in. Uh, there's Carol Kay's on uh, some Jackson Five, but so is James Jamerson. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. I think ABC is James Jamerson. That one, that one definitely is. When you when you listen to that uh that verse groove, the that's that's definitely him, man. That's why he's doing shit like that on what's that what's going on. Oh yeah, I mean that one. I listened to the isolated on that one today, and I think it was it was only one take. Yeah, that's what the that's what the legend on it is, you know, for sure. I, and I, there's no reason to to think that that's that, that anything other than the truth, you know. Like it sounds like everybody has, you know, corroborated that story. That yeah, I mean, he was <laughs> he was pretty drunk and just kind of laid down and did it one take, which is incredible. So so yeah, there's guys like uh, I don't know, was it Jermaine or was it Teo? Uh, in the Jackson Five. Yeah, or Bill Wyman style, or you know, Gene Simmons style. Gene Simmons, man, I trippy styles. Yeah, I never, (laughs) I never think of you know, like I know he's a bass player, but I always think about him just as like you know, as like a weird like showman and frontman. I, I I never even think about his like you know his playing. I mean, they had some, they had some, some licks, they had some riffs that were that were pretty good. You know, Detroit Rock City. The first uh, record, you know, there's, yeah, kind of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's not other instruments, really. There's just two other guitars and drums. Mm-hmm. So bass, yeah, the, yeah, it's not, and not extra guitars. So bass is loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not like that after maybe that first or second record. <laughs> yeah. All this production. I think by, by, uh, 
you know, the Kiss Army stuff. It's Bob Ezrin, and that's big production. I learned some bass stuff uh, off of him. He was, you know, like all the other guys. Mm-hmm. They were around the scene with New York Dolls. So he's kind of playing like Killer Kane. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, you know, it's trippy about the Dolls because the last guy is David Johansson and he kind of takes the band. Arthur's band to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's trippy. Yeah, it was a bass player's band. Huh. I guess you know, I like didn't Richard realize Hell, Like Richard Hell is a bass player's band. Even right, right, Prague right. has some bass player bands. Uh, yes. Oh, is, yeah. Is, R- Richard Squire. Or Chris yeah, Squire. Yes excuse me, Chris the, Squire. Yeah, it was his band. Yeah, he was a killer player. He hired, he, he hired and fired the people in that band. Yeah, I, I was hearing from people about that scene that know about it it was really competitive really that like that british like, prog scene yeah it wasn't about experimental at all they were trying to you know that's why asia ended up being rick wakeman was supposed to be the piano player for spiders from mars but chris squire hired him for more money huh i didn't know that that's crazy i mean chaz Chandler, we were talking about him like he would sing a lot of his backups but then he becomes Jimi Hendrix's manager. Yeah. And then Slade for 12 years. You know, 15 hits. All this shit. So, I don't know. Uh, bass players, I think there's a lot of different ways to be one. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, again, like you, you mentioned earlier, you know, that, you know, writing from the bass. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I do from time to time. But it's usually, you know a lot of times or in a lot of the band, you know, nowadays I find myself to be like, you know, more than in recent, in years past, like doing a little more like sideman work where I'm playing in, you know, four or five different bands sometimes. And so a lot of times I'm kind of going, you know, from like gig to gig and, you know, hearing what the songwriter is putting out and then, you know, supplying a baseline for it. And so, you know, that's just kind of the mode that I'm in right now. But then there, you know, there's a there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You know, I got the radio show. Yeah, yeah, the White from Pedro show. I had uh, Danko Jones on, and he was telling his bass man is JC. He's been with him for years. Okay. And you know what his other gig is? What's that? He's the tour manager. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a good side gig to have, too, you know, to be able to, you know, take on some of the, the business aspect of it. So, this last tour I did was 45 gigs, 45 days. Whew. Yeah, that's a lot. Was that a... And it was 13,380 miles, and I drove every one of them. Y'all took, y'all took the, uh, the boat? Yeah, I drove it though. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that's like my side job. Right. Yeah, a lot of times mine no, is trippy cuz you get I get two kinds of calluses, Cam. I get them on the fingertips from the bass strings. Uh-huh. But I also get them on the palms of my hands by the where the fingers connect from the steering wheel. Yeah, from all the driving. Yeah, because the edge of the steering wheel actually kind of rubs. Yeah, that makes sense as you're turning, like as, you're hold, as you're holding on. Yeah, I mean, 
you're not like got a death grip going for <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I end up uh my uh my like second White knuckle. <laughs> my second job always ends up being like uh so you know I went to I went to school for uh for journalism. So I uh you know I can I can write and and edit, you know, I I'm I confident with that and so i always end up uh anything that we we post online like you know uh you know bios or anything like that i'm always the editor i always come back behind and make sure everything's good or if we need new something new written up i end up writing up a lot of the the blurbs and stuff for our you know uh shows and stuff like that so that's my that's my uh my side gig within dear blanca for sure <laughs> okay no, it's, it, it all helps. It all, that's why it's called a band. Yeah, exactly, man. Everybody's just, using their the skills. Think about the bass. I mean, I think the first basses were actually giant drums. They were big drums. And then after big drums, it were big horns. Yeah. And that's our roots. Our roots are big drums and big horns. We're not really guitars. Mm-hmm. When you know, bringing it back again, you know that... Uh, here's here's the parallel, Cam. Seahorse. A seahorse has nothing to do with the fucking horse. <laughs> it's just a coincidence how it looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That nose and shit and mouth. Right. I think it raises the babies in the mouth. <laughs> but yeah, it's got nothing. Boys, the men. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. The men. Yeah, it's one of the mysteries of uh, the the strange things of nature, you know. It's one of the only animals that does that. Yeah, but I think the so, so the parallel is us. We look like this guitar, but we're not really a guitar. We're more like big horns and big drums. Yeah, absolutely. We got what? punch and we got uh, volume fill. Yep, and that's actually Jamerson's played some trombone in high school before he started playing bass. So there's, you know, there's even a further connection back to that idea of, you know, horns being kind of like the, the genesis. These trumpet sousaphone guys in these mariachi bands? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these guys are fucking... They're cooking, man. These big fug fugian... Sixteen, no Chuck Rainey shit. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the bass all day. Chuck Rainey uses the fingernail like a pick. He uses the front front strokes. Mm -hmm. Fingernail stuff. Yeah, and that's got its own pick trip. Yeah, I've messed with that before. It's a it's a weird it's a weird sound, man. I got something. Guys, the, the oh yeah, man. There's some great bass stuff all over those Steely Walter Dan Becker and, and Donald Fagan told him no slap. Oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that they didn't want. He's big any... part of Royal Scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great record. But yeah, man. I think uh, I think I got to sign off here here in a little bit. It was great chatting bass with you, though, man. I hopefully we'll get to to meet up here again sometime soon. Are you coming through the South anytime soon? Charlotte. Oh yeah, 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 Dylan told me about the uh, the Charlotte gig. Yeah, yeah, when is that? March or April? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those in there. 
It's yeah, it's part of the that March nineteen, April eleventh journey, and it's part of that. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, maybe it's the first week in in April. Maybe it's on the way back because the guitar guy lives in Knoxville. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's not not too far from us. It's about f- four hours from me here in Columbia. Four hours. I yeah. think people in the desert want to record with them. That they're like two and a half, three hours. There's a lot of musician days living in the desert. Yeah, Joshua Tree and last year I recorded that. Yeah, man, that's a. I actually went out there for the first time this past year. It's a. It's a wild scene out there. Once it gets dark, I mean, it's just you know, you got to know where you're going, man. You <laughs> once if you're not on the main drag, like there's no light out there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I've been lucky. Just <laughs> did things, but they told me there's scorpions and stuff in the summertime. Well, that's scary. Yeah, I've, I've thankfully it, I've missed all those things about it. In the meantime, I'm in Pedro. That's cool, man. But well, good talking to you about uh, bass stuff, and I hope there's enough stuff for this. Oh, show, okay? oh, absolutely, Mike. Yeah, thanks, man. And it's always great to talk to you. Hopefully, I'll get to see you soon. Yeah, I'm going to conk now. Bye. Sounds good. Later, man. Okay. This has been a Comfort Monk production. Mm-hmm.